You know, I mean, literally, Edwin, the climax in the movie is a bunch of people at hospital beds and someone slipping on a banana peel. That's funny. That's funny. You have the sense of humor of, like, the Facebook algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 145, where today we are going to talk about The Prince. This is a really fascinating one. Classic, actually, at, a, at the time, and even today, a lot of people really don't know how to talk about this movie, but Prince's Purple Rain and Musicians in Film. Uh, who is with us today? What's up? It's Daniel. Hey, gamers. It's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz, the people's champion. Here with a guy who uh, I forgot I had to do this part. I'm going to say this. Here's a guy, here's a guy who makes doves cry. It's Edwin Gomez. Nice save. <sighs> Hello, America. It's another rainy day in the city of angels. Talking about Prince. I want to go back to bed. Los Angeles is like an MF in rainforest now. Everything is verdant and green. And I'm looking at everything and I'm like, this is nice, but I don't think this is right. So the grass on my street is like taller than my dog right now. <laughs> Look, man, it's a jungle, man. Well, I was gonna say, pretty soon we're gonna have like monkeys migrating from South America, like tigers. We're gonna be like, oh, climate change. Well, thank you everybody for being here. Uh, this week's secret movie clubbers. By the time you hear this, we all are back in our bodies. By the way, just to have some continuity. That uh, oh yeah. Well, that was crazy. That last podcast. I don't know what happened. But we're all who we are, which is good. Everything worked out okay. Tonight, uh, we are going to be showing Spiritual Scorsese, Kundun on 35mm, which I'm really excited about, and Silence, both uh, movies I love. Silence, I think, is one of the best movies Scorsese's ever made. Tomorrow, we're doing Alfred Hitchcock. We're back with our Master Series. We're doing Suspicion and Marnie. Marnie is on 35mm. And then next Wednesday, the workshop is back, the Secret Movie Club workshop. If you're an actor or a writer, we would love to have you. People submit scenes. As long as they're five pages or fewer and four characters or fewer, we match them to actors. The first half of the night, you're putting it up. The second half of the night, we see the scene. We give you feedback. This is all about building community and workshopping your work. And then on Thursday, we are doing Lady Bird and Booksmart. It's really important to me at Secret Movie Club that we're doing not only movies that are 50 years old or 100 years old, but movies that just came out last year that we want you to see and think about and talk about. And so we're doing Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird and Olivia Wilde's Booksmart, and we hope that you will join us. And there you go. That's the week. And as always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Just go to secretmovieclub.com to see everything we're doing. Our amazing designer, uh, Cheeky Design, Heather Monahan, has now created a carousel of new events. So when you just go to secretmovieclub.com, you can pretty much see anything big. Speaking of big, 2023 70 millimeter Palm Springs getaway is locked. Friday night, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, 70 millimeter. Saturday, the only archive print Paramount has of James Cameron's Titanic on 70. Secret Movie Club gets to show it. And then uh, Sunday, we are doing Why Not? We have to. Stanley Kubrick's 2001. A weekend of 70. By the way, I just want to tell you that the Camelot Theater is the only theater right now, given that the Cinerama Dome is closed, where you can see 70 the way it was meant to be seen. It's a curved screen. The dimensions are correct. The speakers behind the screen are correct for 70. The projectors in the booth were the projectors from the 1960s. The bulbs, the light, the sound. When you come to see it in Palm Springs, it's going to be like high opera. You're going to be like, oh my God, I need to see more 70. 
Spend a weekend in Palm Springs. Get a hotel room. Have some breakfast. Drink some coffee. Get some nice clothes. Hang out. Let's move on. Today, we are talking about the 1984 movie Purple Rain, starring Prince. All the music in the movie, which is almost mind-blowing, is written by Prince, even though they're three totally different bands. There's Prince and the Revolution, Morris Day and the Time, and then the Apollonia Six, all of which were actually, for a time, real bands, kind of from the movie, too. It's a sort of a chicken and egg thing. But Morris Day and the Time, I mean, were a band before the movie, and they were a band to this day. And Prince wrote the music for all of them. Prince was just bursting into superstardom, and he made an ultimatum. He told his manager, either you get me a movie made or you're no longer my manager. So the manager and Warner Brothers put together Purple Rain. It would go on actually to be a mega hit, spawn one of Prince's most beloved albums. The movie does kind of minor miracle in which it all builds up to the song Purple Rain. And I've said this a lot, but usually when you do that in a movie, the song kind of sucks. And I mean no disrespect to Bill and Ted because I love Bill and Ted's. But the whole premise of Bill and Ted's is that they played a song that brought world peace to the world. And when you finally hear the song in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, you're like, yeah, look, I love Bill and Ted so much. And the goodwill that they built is great. But you're like, okay, that's the, that's the song that brought world peace. But in Purple Rain, when you hear Purple Rain, you're like, that is amazing. And we're also going to talk about musicians and film today because I've said this a lot, but there's a really interesting uh, reciprocity. Filmmakers are often obsessed with music. Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson, Kenneth Anger, Sofia Coppola. And then on the other side, oftentimes singer-songwriters specifically are obsessed with cinema. Bob Dylan would go on to write and direct a movie. Uh, David Bowie, probably most famously, was in tons of movies as an actor and would occasionally write music for movies and up until the end of his life was obsessed with cinema. Prince would go on to make more movies, Under the Cherry Moon, which we showed, and Graffiti Bridge and concert films. Neil Young actually did three movies that he wrote and directed. Can I take one sidebar about one band that got it right in terms of the lead into the big finale? And that's Tenacious D, because their whole shtick, their first album had a song about the greatest song they wrote for this thing. Then they got to make a movie all these years later, and the actual song that defeats it is not good intentionally. Like, it's pretty subpar, and it's perfect. And that's how you do it. Pick a destiny, right? Yeah. They do. They have a song called Beelzebub where they actually duel the devil, who's Dave Grohl. And Dave Grohl's part's incredible. And then their part is like pretty bad and they lose. But through an accident, they win and they encapsulate it in tribute as a song canonically in, in Tenacious D universe. And it's all the better for it. Forgive me for my hubris here. Uh, Purple Rain is probably my favorite pop song of all time. I've said it many times before, but for my birthday... And I'm going to do it again, I think, this year. I haven't done it for COVID for the last four years, but we would do a steak dinner at Taylor's Steakhouse in Koreatown and then just walk down the block to Rosen Music Studio and karaoke till two in the morning. And at some point, I would always sing Purple Rain horribly off key. But the song is so great, people would save me and grab mics and join in. The story of the movie basically is the kid, as he's known, Prince, plays at First Avenue, a real club, by the way. He's playing there. 
and then his rival, uh, Morris Day in the time, they're playing there. And suddenly Apollonia comes into town, this being the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Apollonia is looking to break into First Avenue, and she's a musician. And that evergreen story of the person who's coming to the big city because they believe they've got talent. And these three main characters basically all battle it out to a battle of the bands. But simultaneously, Prince falls in love with Apollonia. Morris Day, he falls in love with Apollonia. So they're also fighting over Apollonia. And then we see it home that Prince's home life, the kid's home life is pretty rough. Uh, his mom and dad are fighting all the time in a domestic and abusive relationship. We can see that that's affected the kid's ability to relate to his own band, to be charitable. And we don't know how it's all going to turn out. And if he's going to self-destruct or if he's going to overcome these self-destructive tendencies to actually fulfill his potential. Huh? Oh, Pepper Ray, you know, uh, I missed it when he showed it, but don't worry. I'll see it on a new 35 print at the Academy Museum. So I can't wait for that. It's coming up soon. Nice. Did you see how Edwin didn't miss an opportunity to insult me there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you screened it? I'll see a better version of it somewhere else. Yeah, new print. New print. I can't wait for the new print. It's going to look. It's gonna sound amazing. Yeah, we love a new print struck from a digital master. Oh, you. <clears throat> sorry, I thought you were a purist. Yeah, they still a purist. You're talking about Purple Rain. I'm so sorry to have uh, anyway, anyway, Purple Rain. It's one of my aunt's favorite movies, favorite pop stars as well. And uh, it w- if it weren't for her, I would never have been introduced to Prince and Purple Rain. So I want to thank God her. God bless her yeah. aunt. Should have had her on the bike. Uh, first time I saw it was back in my hometown. <laughs> we should have. Actually, we, we actually have your we have what? your aunt on <laughs> the call. Her. Let's bring her in. Aunt Cecilia. Hey, Edwin. Love Purple Rain. Thanks for having me. Hope oh you enjoyed God. the movie. Hola, sobrino. Yo quiero hablar con tus amigos porque tus amigos son mejores que tú porque ellos encantan Prince. She doesn't speak Spanish like that, man. <laughs> Keep going. Okay, so, something's wrong with you, Craig. You need, you need help. Uh, anyway, I saw it when I was about probably 13 when I saw it in Azusa in the theater. It was great. Probably one of the most beautiful experiences I ever had. That was the only one in there. Purple Ray is amazing. And uh, uh, don't, don't forget to mention that it's also an L.A. movie because there are some scenes that was shot here in Los Angeles. Like, oh, that's here. Actually, a great point. A lot of the movies shot in L.A. You could almost call it like a great L.A. movie, but it's supposed to take place in this one town. But, you know, I like Moore's Day a lot in this movie. I like his Jungle Love song. Don't get me wrong. I love the Purple Rain song, but... Come on, Jungle Love is amazing. I love the time. That's the whole point, is that those songs are almost better than the Revolution songs. That's why you don't know who's going to win at the end. That's the tension of the movie. Well, I, I think I think Morris Day should have won. I, I, I think he should have gotten it. That, <laughs> Against that, Purple Rain? Uh, have you heard Jungle Love? That song is amazing, man. That song is a masterpiece. It's great. I'm obsessed with that song. I play in the shower, and it's like, do the move, Ooh. you know? Yeah, that's right. Damn <laughs> I. You yeah. do the moves in the shower? Yeah, Pepper is a masterpiece. I'm glad he won the Academy Award for that movie. Isn't the implication in the movie, though, it's not so much that they're competing. It's that if Prince doesn't come out with a banger or the kid doesn't come out with a banger that night, he's going to get fired. Because there's like a third band. I think we see like one song from them at one point, don't Yo, we? Totally. That's, like... That's such a great observation that like clearly they got cut out of the movie. <laughs> the Japanese headband. It's like not important. They're doing fine. They're doing better than the revolution is. So th- I guess they're going to be the ones who are fired. It sucks for them. Bye-bye. That's crazy. Bye-bye. You're, you're kind of rooting for people to lose their livelihood. And they're all, like, relatively good. That's the worst part. And from what we know, like, the kid deserves to lose it because he's kind of an a-hole. No, I know he is. Like, so he redeems himself by the end of the picture and sings Purple Riot and make everyone, like, tear up and cry. You know, it's just, it's just amazing, man. This is art. The owner of the club... Who's great. He has this monologue, not monologue, but a conversation with Prince in his dressing room 
where he just tells him straight. You know, I wish I could remember the exact lines, but he essentially tells the kid, your music only moves you. You're, you're writing music just for yourself. And that's your problem. You're being like your old man. And when you think about that, you can, you, you know, some musicians might go, well, why is that wrong? Or, but, but he's sort of saying a truism, which is if you want to make it, your music has to move you and the audience. If your music isn't moving the audience, then you're not going to get booked. It's kind of a hard truth. It's definitely the thing somebody who owns a club would tell you. It's kind of a funny point because he is saying that, but all the songs that the revolution have been playing are pretty great also. <laughs> so it is like... <laughs> that's my favorite thing is that it's all like great music and they're like ah there's no bangers this here. one's like, not what? as good as that yeah. one and it's like this all sounds like great to <laughs> me imagine that talent pool it's almost like a perfect world where you're like everyone's only making great music so someone's making you know, only making good great so i guess you got you're gone that actually is such a great point because it's prince at the apex of his talent so like every song in the film is now considered a classic except he hadn't put out parade yet he's got some goods on the horizon yeah he hadn't come out with the batman album yet or the gold experience which i have is one of my favorites yeah it's funny because i've never seen the movie I, I have this thing where with music where my music taste is all over the board and what usually happens with me is every couple of years i'll get like really like into one band or one artist and you know it happened with ghost this last year it happened with nine inch nails a few years ago i remember that and it happened with prince back when i was in grad school but i never ended up watching the movies i kind of just found the run of his albums that i liked which for me is his his first album through through about batman to be honest i'd never seen the movie and the music stuff in it is obviously great narratively some of the stuff is kind of like huh i saw it at the theater Theater. I almost wish I could have watched it at home so I could have taken more like notes because I remember there being a couple of moments that I can't think of off the top of my head where I was like, this is shockingly not aware of the film language it's employing at, at moments here and there where it's like cutting to characters like especially with the music thing where we're supposed to I guess get the idea that this music isn't good and so it's cutting to characters going like <laughs> and but I'm with my ears I'm hearing it and I'm like this movie's music rips <laughs> oh yeah like on computer blue and yeah Darling yeah Nikki. when you're hearing him literally do darling Nikki which is now like a song covered by everybody and the club owner and Morris Day and Apollonia are like no 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 <laughs> in fairness I think the reaction there is that that it feels like the kid is on stage degrading Apollonia because he's angry that she's with Morris Day. That one worked for me. It was some of the early ones. They're like making fun of him for Let's Go Crazy. And I'm like, that, that song rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, there's some other little things. So I don't really know how much it works as like a movie movie. Like I can't really also imagine watching this alone and having it be the same experience. You know, it feels like a movie you want people for. And uh, it was it was fun. It was fun to see. And uh, I really have a lot of affection for Prince. He seemed crazy in a fun way he just wanted to be live like the fanciest boy alive and he was just like i love new girl i want to be on it and then they'll just they just let him be on new girl because why wouldn't you there was some story i saw recently about him where he rented someone's house in bel-air like went to their house and was like i want to rent this house from you and the guy said he like let him do it because the monthly price was so insane he was like absolutely like i have to it's prince and he came back one time to look at the house and he said every detail of the house had been changed all the designs new flooring, paint, wallpaper, everything, and all of his stuff was gone. And Prince was like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, when I leave, everything will be back as I left it. And he said, when Prince moved out, he came back, everything was exactly as if he'd walked back in in the time before. And he was like, I don't understand any of it, like why he did that, why he wanted that spot. But 
he true to his word he came back and it was as told he's like a forest imp he's just like a little <laughs> magical man yeah this is the debate about purple rain is that purple rain is now generally considered a classic a uh, movie and yet people who are trying to be rigorous about cinema will go well there's some really retrogressive scenes in it like a woman is thrown in a dumpster prince makes apollonia jump naked the like lake minnetonka thing there's storylines that never really fulfill themselves there's a waitress at first avenue who seems maybe she had an affair with prince and she seems really empathetic and then the apollonia six like dance in lingerie to a song called sex shooter so you, you have to say at de minimis the movie's views on like women and what female empowerment are are questionable and yet because we all have all this goodwill towards prince and because the music is so good we do perceive and, and receive the movie as a prince experience which is sort of what makes the movie a classic which you know is like that going to a prince concert thing you forgive a lot because you're like oh it's a prince concert that's really what we're seeing is a prince concert i think connor nailed it with this is the first time i watched it yesterday first time i've ever watched it alone in like sixth or seventh grade which is when you're the worst person you're going to be typically two of my best friends their dad was a huge prince fan and got us into prince and ever we watched purple rain and i didn't really get it i just thought it was cool and i didn't know what i was feeling about things about like my body and stuff so i was like what the heck this movie's crazy it's something that i think in a theater is like such a weird experience but it is it's bizarre to watch it by yourself and just try to take it in as a movie because like you were saying it it doesn't really make sense (laughs) i was writing down some stuff that i thought was really funny if you were to take it critically as a movie which is that I'm obsessed with um, Morris Day and, and Jerome, supposed to be like these, like, they're all, oh, they're after all the girls, but they're just so gay coded in the best way. Like, I, I love it. But in my 2023 brain, I was like, oh, what? that's so cool. And then I'm like, on the 80s, though, that is not the intention. Concert scenes are incredible, but Prince is, is a monster in this movie. Like, he's selfish. He manipulates people. And he hits Apollonia. He's physically abused. Yeah. You know, they give it a little bit of story context that his parents are going through the same thing. He's a little too old for that excuse. It, I, I always forget <laughs> that he lives with his parents, which also makes no sense. Like, he drives this crazy motorcycle and then goes home to, like, his... He's opening at First Avenue, the biggest club in Minneapolis. Yeah. But he can't somehow afford rent. <laughs> but he like when he goes to the door and he hears his parents fight and he always steps in to stop his dad and like takes a hit and he never like hits his he like tackle his dad or like push him out of the way but never hits him. But then he just takes that and so there's like this interesting thing there that's never played out. He just hits Ap- Apollonia. At no point are you like, oh, because I, I don't think he has a redemption except that he does a great song. And I love the idea that at the end of the great song he didn't even write. Oh yeah, Wendy and Lisa. One of the key plot points is that Wendy and Lisa and the revolution have written a song that he won't even listen to because he had nothing to do with it. And that song becomes Purple Rain. So his his redemption is he finally listens to these women and they perform the song of the movie that's this great thing. And so I think it sort of thinks it's in that realm and maybe there's like an extended cut of it. But it's very bizarre to watch it just as like a narrative thing. I think it is definitely a movie about the vibes, the music vibes, not the abusive vibes, the vibes of Prince because he radiates this whole thing. If you took the music out of this movie, it would be terrible. I mean, not terrible. There'd still be some fun stuff, but if the music wasn't 
what it was. It's so serious too. And like a really, a really cool way where like, there's so much of it that I think removed from context looks goofy, like the hairstyles and outfits and stuff, but then played serious. It works. I don't think it was ever intended to wink, but I think it needs that. I think it was, was trying to wink at you like a little bit of Rocky Horror-esque type of thing. It would feel insincere. And I think the sincerity of it lets it function the way that it needs to. To play devil's advocate, because I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. Like every time I see the movie, I do have to wrestle with what I feel is kind of a cringy view and treatment of women and female agency. And I'm not trying to be politically correct or whatever. I just don't think it works. And I, I think as we move on, you're like, hey. And yet there is so much that's fascinating about Prince's backstory. And that's all true. He was actually, I think, a foster kid for a little bit, and he bounced around homes because his parents fought so violently. There is something actually very true in who he was, which was he was this guy who loved people, wanted community, was a genius, believed in God, believed in family, and yet had a lot of these demons and this inability to really connect with people because of a childhood that was really malformed by dysfunction. And so I do think narratively, I do think that is interesting in the Ur story of Prince, you know, to see that in Purple Rain. Absolutely. I do agree with that. And some of the ideas of like this abuse he grew up in would translate into him. I think that feels like an accurate type of portrayal it just doesn't give you're not given Some thematic ideas that are cool it almost seems like there's like a two and a half hour version of that that starts to focus and they like really tighten things up to keep the energy there you know prince is 24 i think <laughs> which is like crazy that's upsetting He's 24 25 <laughs> and he just wrote like annie had already written the 1999 album the dirty mind album and the controversy album Holy schmoly. But I think in all fairness, I can still remember 2425. And I remember how intensely I felt about everything in your early 20s, even though, yes, you're beyond adolescence and you're into young adulthood. There's still like some of the most serious things that you're dealing with are still your parents, your feelings about other people, romantic relationships, your art. I mean, the kind of the movie is sort of true to how you are in your early 20s. Yeah, I think 22 to 26, 7, 8 was like the craziest mental state I've existed in. So I, I definitely agree with that. Prince was obsessed with uh, cinema and musicians often are. One of my heartbreaks, although it's not really a heartbreak because I, I thought it turned into to a really pretty good event, was one of the people that worked with Prince in the last 10, 20 years of his life came to a movie at Secret Movie Club at the Vista and approached us and she said, you know, I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but if Prince was still alive, he almost certainly would have been coming to this all the time. And I was like, don't, don't tell me that. And she was like, no, no, no. He would have loved this. He would have been here all the time because he loved movies at midnight. And she came to Casablanca, I remember. And she said he would have just been here. And I used to attend movies with him all the time and he'd show movies. But she said, I'll tell you what, I can get a bunch of people together that worked with him. And I was like, yes. And we did this panel and they talked about Prince, told a bunch of great stories. We showed Purple Rain. I'll be eternally grateful to her. She was incredible. But Prince would go on to do, he actually directed, he actually took over the direction from Mary Lambert on the next movie, Under the Cherry Moon 
which as Daniel said, produced the parade album and you know, the song kiss and all these ama- mountains and all these amazing songs and September and, and yada, yada and, and Christopher Tracy's parade. And then he would make an official sequel to purple rain called graffiti bridge. Interestingly, which he also would direct, which produced thieves in the temple, I think was the biggest single out of that one. And then he did a great concert film based on my favorite Prince album, a uh, sign of the times, but that's a concert movie. And as uh, Connor said, I, I can't, I'm, I'm burying the lead. He would do the soundtrack to Tim Burton's Batman, which apparently the story there was, and I don't know how apocryphal this is, is that when they were filming, Burton had a couple of songs. I think he had 1999 playing as the parade song. If I had to guess, it kind of makes sense when you think about it and like the tempos of those songs and how Jack is dancing too. And they knew it was Warner Brothers. So they knew it wasn't going to be an issue really legally to get the songs. But Tim Burton, I think, was just, you know, a nice guy. So he wanted to get Prince's blessing. Prince was like, okay, well, let me watch. Let me see it. And so they they showed him a work print of the movie. Prince didn't give them permission, disappeared for a week and came back with the Batman album, which is an entire album of songs written from the perspective of the characters of that Batman movie. Uh, like if you get the liner notes, it tells you what each song, like which of the characters it's it's from. I was a little kid when that movie came out, but we would use the Prince album for our pretend games at my grandparents' house. And I remember like my sister would play Vicky Vale my cousin Seth and I would just rotate who is Joker and who is Batman. And we would always play like Party Man or Bat Dance. Nice. And that was just like how the pretend game started. And then someone always had to do the line, have you ever wanted to dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? And that was it. That was like our pretend every weekend. There's so much we could talk about. I, and I know I've already laid the table here, but I just want to say again, David Bowie, who is, you know, I'm probably going to mention, but Neil Young, Bob Dylan, Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead working with Paul Thomas Anderson. You have uh, Trent Reznor working with David Fincher. And and so you guys take it wherever you will. But he's also another incredible man. I think more of a of a self-aware magician than Prince was to a certain degree, though I don't know, maybe maybe that's a perception thing. But it was always just fun to see Bowie pop up in movies. I think maybe the first time I really became aware of Bowie had to be probably when I was about 10 and he pops up as himself in Zoolander to judge the runway off. They actually do a bit in the movie where the main characters get like a title card when they appear. And even though David Bowie's in one scene, he also gets a title card <laughs> uh, when he shows up because it's it's David Bowie. Obviously, I, I wish both of these guys were still around for a lot of reasons because uh, it'd be incredible to see what more they could do what more stuff they could be in. On a very selfish level, not to re-embrace my MCU love, I do think uh, David Bowie would be an incredible Mephisto in the MCU, which Mephisto is like a sexy devil, essentially. I think he would have been like legit perfect casting for that. He probably would have done it too. He never took any of that stuff too seriously. I think he would have too, because he probably probably wouldn't, he'd probably just film and whatever green screen is nearby probably wouldn't take him that long. <laughs> he'd probably think it's fun because he could just basically channel because it's this Mephisto on a character level is essentially um, the character he plays in Labyrinth whose name I'm forgetting the Goblin King I didn't even think about like musicians who transition as like score and do do that kind of stuff I I wasn't even really thinking about that because you're right because Trent Reznor has such an incredible he's so close uh, they need to get get a Tony and he'll EGOT Social Network the musical you know what honestly I bet you could do a pretty good jukebox musical with Nine Inch Nails songs call it Closer to God I was just looking (laughs) through my favorite movies and i remembered paul williams who did phantom of the paradise 
Tyson starred in that as that movie's versions of the devil, essentially, and wrote all the music for that movie and appeared in a bunch of stuff. And he's still alive, isn't he? He is. Oh, yeah. He did a guest spot on the Daft Punk album, last Daft Punk album. And then he, he, was, in, he was in Baby Driver for a couple seconds, I remember. Yeah, he pops up a lot. It's funny, I, w- I was not aware of who he was, but as a kid, he would always be on TV or like a Muppet Just movie. Fun. or It's like, oh, Paul Williams. That's the perfect type of celebrity, I think. Like, I know this person. My, my friend Paul said he kind of looks like a classic, like, Hobbit. Like, he's, like, very Tolkien-esque. Uh, Elvis Presley. If you actually want to go way, way uh-huh. back in terms of the connection of music and movies, when Hollywood was like, oh, women are besotting themselves with this guy they just cast him uh and he was in a ton of movies when there was sinatra there's a very interesting connection between the magnetism of the performer and the sexual magnetism of cinema i guess mr uh, mick jugga i think he starred in his first movie i could be wrong it's not performance it's a 1970 australian film called ned kelly about an outlaw that, that movie was pretty dope i like that one a lot uh, he wrote brown sugar when he was down there in australia oh, there, see there you go uh, if it weren't for ned kelly we wouldn't have ground brown sugar man one of the most conflicting songs ever a song you want to sing and you love and then you listen to and you're like oh my god there is a a, a musician that directed his own feature film I'm surprised you didn't talk about him craig or daniel cotter because his movie's coming back into cinemas again one of the greatest concert films of all time sean the pantages theater you know who he's talking about. Oh, David Byrne? He didn't direct that. That was Jonathan Demme. Oh, no, my God. I, stop. True stories, you bastards. Uh-oh. True but stories. But you're right, you're right. David Byrne took the lead. Say, you know what? I'm going to direct my own feature film, and it's going to be so cool and gorgeous. True stories. Yeah, that's right. Boom. Your face. I think that movie alone is probably my, my favorite musician acting and directing in a movie probably the best musician directed movie of the yes. people we've talked about for sure no don't give me wrong prince you can't direct but under the cherry moon is a mess it's a fun yeah. mess but that movie is a messy mess yeah alex recommended it uh, for my movie night <laughs> it is like you're like what is what is going on like that movie feels like prince is having a party and making a movie at the party and you're like, oh, well, for a movie that was made one night, shot by Michael <laughs> Biles. Also, for a band to provide uh, music for a motion picture, even uh, composing for one, it's one of the greatest British rock bands of all time. That's not Rolling Stones, but someone else. That's Queen, man. Ain't no one movie? Flash Gordon. Nope. Oh. Highlander. Boom. Flash Gordon. It's all about Highlander now, boy. Uh. Yeah. Christopher Edwin, Lambert. You it. That was good. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Show Islander, um, man. When I think of musicians in movies specifically, I think my millennial brain thinks of uh, Atlantis Morissette and Dogma. Doesn't even speak, but like Hyde of Atlantis Morissette just comes in, is ethereal. She does scream. Yeah, kills some folk and goes about her business. Phenomenal. The biggest one that surprised me, because when, when the trailer came out, I remember being like, that was a weird choice. Justin Timberlake in The Social Network. So good. Another notable thing is Seal and Popstar. Incredible performance. I already said Dave Grohl and Pick a Destiny. Phenom. And then my two like other little, I think Aquafina in both Crazy Rich Asians and The Farewell. I guess for Crazy Rich Asians, they were like, will she be able to ha- like do this? And then she did it, handled it, and then made The Farewell, which is like a phenomenal performance. And then my underrated one, I think, is Jonathan Demme's Rachel Getting Married, the lead singer of TV on the Radio, which is one of my favorite bands. I believe his name is pronounced Tunde Adibimbe. His performance, which gets to be fairly musical through it, is 
pretty freaking phenomenal. And then my musician turned film composer, the one I always think about is the story of Neil Young composing uh, Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man, which he did live to picture, I guess. Just did a few takes of it while he watched the movie. And I think that's the dopest thing. I love the Dead Man score, and I'm actually a pretty big Neil Young fan. But my friend would do a kind of funny impersonation of what that recording session must have been like. And he would just have Neil Young dropping a guitar on the ground and Jim Jarmusch being like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What popped in my head that we haven't even talked about is that amazing uh, renaissance of music with blaxploitation films where like, holy moly. Curtis Mayfield writing the Superfly album and not only Superfly being better because of that soundtrack, but that album being one of the great soul soundtracks. You get the Shaft score by Isaac Hayes. Chuck Turner. You get James Brown doing Black Caesar and all of those amazing soul funk R&B groups of the late 60s, early 70s, then writing these soundtracks for black exploitation movies. So that really, I, I think to this day, and we're gonna do a black exploitation series at some point, it's interesting how well those movies have aged because rather than feeling like what they're actually named after, like they're exploiting African-American culture, those movies still feel like celebrations of African-American culture where it stars, black actors it is written and directed by black filmmakers and it is scored by black musicians i just think you know i have those albums in my vinyl and they're priceless curtis mayfield is untouchable craig craig at my wedding craig the last song was the impressions people get ready because i think it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written and if you've never heard people get ready secret movie clubbers when we get off this just listen to people get ready by the impressions craig craig i cry every time listen listen to yourself listen to yourself there is two great Black exploitation film scores, and that's Truck Turner and Black Caesar, and Billy Preston for Slaughter. Why are you so mad? Because I want the truth. I just enraged Edwin. We both brought up both of those. We both. I know, but he didn't. It's the whole Edwin. Thing. It's superior to the Curtis Mayfield score. Right? I just hope Edwin that when you do your like post life, you know, exit interview before you reincarnate as whatever you're going to reincarnate, that whoever your guidance counselor is for your next life cycle shows you all the moments where people were doing the thing and then you would interrupt them, discount what they did. And they just say, work on that. Just work on that in the next life. No, you're going to become a Tibetan child or something. And then you're the new Dalai Lama. I'd be crazy that they discover you. I'm writing that movie right now. No, look, pal. Look, <laughs> look, pal. Truck, truck, truck turner. And Black Caesar Music and Slaughter. <laughs> Pop culture and final thoughts. Talk about anything but what we just talked about. I'll go because I have a connective tissue to what we just talked about, which is I saw John Wick 4, which I loved. I won't say anything about it except. Seeing it today. The last hour is Mad Max Fallout level phenom. But it, one of the co-stars of it, Rina Sawayama, is also a pop star who turned down the role initially when she was sought out because she's like, I, don't, I can't act. But she has a crazy dance background, which let her move into martial arts training to do all these insane stunts that, you know, can exist in these one takes where you're like, how does someone move like that? And she's great. And I assume, I hope she will do more stuff after that because she was, she was definitely a scene stealer. Speaking of that, yeah, one of the co-stars, uh, Lance Reddick, just passed away. 
And I want to give a big rest in peace to that dude. I met him once and told him how much I loved him and lost him the guests. And he kind of just, I don't think he knew what to make of me. I was like, this guy seems like, uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, we actually, I rewatched the guest in his honor. Uh, that's a big loss. You always shoot really high, Craig, when you talk about actors you want to work with. And that's not me doing disrespecting Lance Reddick, but you're, you always want like A-listers. And to me, I'm always more interested in like the Lance Reddicks or the Mads Mikkelsen's or something where it's like these guys who just show up at a bunch of Lance stuff. Reddick is amazing. I mean, that that whole ensemble in The Wire is untouchable, but he's just someone with presence and gravitas. He has, yeah, an enormous amount of presence and um, big bummer. Rest in, rest rest in, in peace. peace. So I'll, I'll just, I'll use mine as that. And you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesday evenings, twitch.tv slash nerdhala. Our current campaign is starting to wind down, so we're some of us are probably going to die soon. We keep getting really close to it. <laughs> I got a job with the Hollywood Legion, so that's going down. I got the call at the club the other day. Yeah, so I'm going to be watching some TCM movies. Congrats. Yeah, hopefully I get to see Airport on 70mm and the Wild Bunch on 70mm. There's going to come a time where you work at every single cinema. Yeah. And movie-themed bookstore or establishment in Los Angeles, and everyone's going to try to figure it out. So if you see me at the Hollywood Legion, I'm in the theater watching you and watching the movie as well. Oh. So that would be great. Weird way to put it. Are you working security? No. Uh, I'll be uh, in the lobby on no, my ushering, cell phone. Ushering. I'm, I'm like making sure people find their way to the door. Heck yeah. Uh, other than that, I saw all that jazz the other night at the club. It was amazing. Okay. It was incredible. It was probably the greatest musical I ever saw in my life. Bob Fosse is just directing himself in the most insane way impossible. Bye Bye Life is incredible. That is truly a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful number. I didn't watch Cabaret because I was mainly there to watch uh, all that jazz, and I'm glad I did. I also sad that I missed it at the Academy because it was a new 35 print, but that's okay. I saw it on 35 either way. So when we did, <laughs> When we did our April Fool's, I did have to say, I did chuckle when Connor playing me. Well, when I was in Connor, I'm sorry, when I was in Connor and Aeschylus got name dropped in the Oristia, that made me laugh because I know it's a whole long thing and I, it's pretentious and I talk about what I'm reading and it did make me laugh out loud. And, and I was like, ah, that is, I'm almost certain how I sound. Uh, and so I want the audience to forgive me. I know I've said it though. I do firmly believe that if you do read a lot, I do think it makes your movies better. And actually, books, have they've really helped me in life. I, I don't know how to explain it to people, but reading, for me, has helped me deal with a lot of the troubles and hardships of life because I've already read them in books and kind of knew they were coming. Uh, and in reading all this literature, you go, well, a huge part of life is suffering. And so when it happens, you're like, oh, I kind of knew that was going to happen. I, and it's hard for me to explain, and, but I love, and I think it makes me a better filmmaker. So with that whole caveat, I was going to say, I'm now reading Balzac, never read Balzac, Henri de Balzac. And he, for people who've never read him, he wrote like 95 novels that became this huge world, the original literary universe called the human comedy, where he really just painted this incredible canvas of post-Napoleonic, post-Restoration France. But really what he was doing was just showing every Everybody. It's blowing me away because none of his characters are one note. This is what everyone says about it. But whether you like them or you don't like them, they're so contradictory and complex. It's just so rich. It's so rich. And I read Pergorio, which I recommend a quick read for anybody. And now I'm on Lost Illusions. But the thing I realized, which is interesting, is as great as those characters are, I realized that 
if you could have those characters, but really have the punchy story sense of the absolute best storyteller, that's what cinema is. You actually can't just have the great characters. It's interesting. I love his narratives, but his narratives are not quite as strong as his characters. So I finished Perigorio and I was like, that was great. It was one of the best books I've ever read. I'm, I'm going to remember it the rest of my life. The story is beautiful, but maybe that punchy muscularity you need you got to have that in the character anyway whatever that's worth uh all right guys check out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com or go to eventbrite to get tickets write us a community at secretmovieclub.com as always this podcast was edited by our chief creative content officer connor lloyd cruz secret movie club podcast 146 is actually going to be about a, <laughs> a very little discussed topic holiday movies that take place from january to may unlike halloween or the fourth of july or thanksgiving or christmas or new year's all of which kind of get their own holidays or valentine's day in fairness which we're, which we're excluding from the discussion because we've done plenty of romance stuff exactly there are all these holidays easter passover memorial day the vegetable like the flag day whatever you want to talk about mother's day uh, president's day that don't really get a lot of movies so we're gonna maybe try to surprise you with uh some out of left field calls. So there you go. Join us next week. All right, guys. Have a great week. Bye. Goodbye, citizens. Okay. I love you, family. Connor stays at Secret Movie Club another year. Because <laughs> Mad, 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 Mad World wasn't programmed. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't live with that sort of Damocles hanging over my head. That ultimatum that Connor gave me. Sorry. I find I just find that movie really offensive. Do you? Yeah. Why? Just uh, you know, just saying mad that many times makes me mad. <laughs> but I, if I see a word like once or twice, it's like, okay, I get it. But when I see it that many times, it's like, come on.